Hello everyone, this is Eugene Weaver, and welcome to another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly, your one-stop shop for all things horror, gore, science fiction, fantasy, gems in the rough, little scene movies, uh, or cult classics. And today I actually do have a couple cult classics that I am going to talk about, uh, as well as a couple other movies that I watched recently that I just wanted to uh, chat up a little bit and bring to the forefront, hopefully uh, get you to check it out. So uh, first up is, and some of these movies, at this point I've I've hit on pretty much all of my favorite movies uh, in this type of genre, um, underbelly type stuff, science fiction, horror, fan, all that stuff. I've pretty much hit on my favorites. So some of these are going to be mild retreads into familiar territory, mainly because I would have just watched it again. Uh, so I might just hit on it a little bit. And today I actually am going to be hitting on a couple that I've already discussed. I won't spend near as much time on them, but I'm just going to reiterate how awesome they are and how much you should check them out. And the first up is going to be one that I watched a couple days ago, and uh, it is one of my all-time favorite werewolf movies, and that would be 1981 Joe Dante's The Howling. And um, this is another one of those movies that I watch pretty much once a year, uh, along with actually the very next movie after that that I'm going to hit on. Uh, there are certain movies that uh, I can easily watch once a year, sometimes even more, depending on my mood. And uh, The Howling is one of them. Brisk runtime of 91 minutes. I like the witty, uh, subtle humor throughout this thing. Um, it feels like... Um, it's Obviously, it's, it's very much a horror movie. But at the same time, what's cool about it is that it's almost self-knowing. Uh, in a way that Scream would emulate uh, years later. But in its own, it's almost more sly and uh, discreet about it. Uh, so, and I think that's really cool. The Blu-ray is from Scream Factory, and I'll tell you, the packaging on this is worth the price alone. Uh, I would love to have a big full-size theatrical poster of the artwork for this thing that was uh, commissioned just for this Blu-ray release. It is awesome. Uh, the werewolves are great on the cover, and it's it's I love it. I'm going to read the back of, again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this movie, but uh, back of the Blu-ray, just so you know what the movie's all about. From the director of Gremlins and Piranha comes the ultimate masterpiece of primal terror. Filled with edge-of-your-seat suspense, genuine thrills, and amazing special effects, this riveting werewolf tale sinks its teeth into your deepest fears and never lets go. Severely shaken after a near-fatal encounter with a serial killer, TV newscaster Karen White takes some much-needed time off. Hoping to conquer her inner demons, she heads for the colony, a secluded retreat where her new neighbors are just a tad too eager to make her feel at home. Also, there seems to be a bizarre link between her would-be attacker and the supposedly safe haven. And when, after nights of being tormented by savage shrieks and unearthly cries, uh, Karen... Uh, ventures into the forest to find answers. She makes a terrifying discovery. Now she must fight not only for her life, but for her very soul. So uh, there you go. That's uh, that's pretty much what the movie's all about. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. The practical effects in this movie are fantastic. 
Now, what I do think is really cool about the special effects in this movie is Rick Baker was originally doing the special effects for the film, uh, but he left to do An American Werewolf in London. And he left the effects job for this movie in the hands of assistant Rob Bottin. And Rob Bottin, as we all know, uh, is a very prolific effects artist now. Uh, His big claim to fame is obviously The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing, but he's done work on... David Fincher 7, and numerous, numerous movies. Great, great effects artist. Uh, so anyway, uh, both movies, what's cool about American Werewolf in London and The Howling is they were both released the same year, and it's cool how they both have a, a witty type of, uh, uh, a witty type of humor going on throughout both of these movies. And I think that's just really cool that uh, they're very similar in that. So, uh, Dee Wallace, who I really like Dee Wallace, uh, she's just, she's a great genre actress. She's been in so many, uh, cool horror movies, Cujo, Critters. Um, I mean, she's been in 215 different, she's got 215 different credits on, uh, IMDb. That's a lot. Uh, she was in E.T. I mean, she's done more than just horror stuff, but, uh, she's just been in so, so many things. Uh, and I think that's really cool. But um, I, I do like the fact, and I love, I love some of the trivia for some of these older movies. The trivia on these is so cool. Um, she was really uncomfortable in the porn shop scene in the uh, beginning of the movie, and you can see it on her face. So they were really filming at a porn shop. Uh, so I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. Um, but I, I still remember the first time I watched The Howling. Uh, I saw it on uh, network television. So I'm... I, it was somewhat cut, but I do recall being, you know, like, wow, this right off the bat, I was really young. I'm like she's in a place she shouldn't be. This looks kind of uh, adult oriented. And uh, yeah, so um, uh, let's just see here. Filmed in 28 days. Uh, the movie was notable for the special effects, like I said, and these were state of the art special effects at the time. And it's cool how watching it now, um, uh, some of it can look a bit fake, the practical effects, especially when uh, our one of our lead werewolves turns into a werewolf and the camera rarely cuts from a static shot of his face uh, or his head, I guess, just slowly morphing into this werewolf. And the sounds that it makes are every bit as cool as the actual transformation itself, just lots of crunching and grinding and pulling in just a spe- just gooey special effects like sound effects uh along with the practical effects that were going on it at this point in time it does look fake but uh it it really was cool how uh how they pulled it off and of course the legendary dick miller is in this movie and if you don't know who dick miller is just look for a at this point middle-aged man he's he's a bookstore owner in this movie he has been in so 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 many uh things and so it's always good to see him but he actually uh thinks that this is according to the uh, trivia here this is his favorite movie that he was that he starred in um art director robert burns had previously worked on the sets for texas chainsaw massacre which is the next movie i'm going to hit on briefly uh in fact many of the grizzly set dressings from this film were holdovers from texas chainsaw massacre most notably the corpse in the armchair seen in Walter Paisley's bookstore. How cool is that? So uh, it's uh, kind of interconnected. I think that's 
uh, beautiful, especially because of my undying love for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, uh, anyway, there's uh, there's a lot of other notes here. Director Joe Dante and screenwriter uh, John Sale, uh, Sales had previously co- collaborated about three years before in Piranha uh, in those capacities with Sales taking a role in the director's later movie, Matinee. So, there you go. Oh, and also, of course, I have to make mention that Roger Corman is actually in the movie. He has a cameo, and Roger Corman... Uh, Basically, Roger Corman introduced us all to Joe Dante, among many, many others. But what's neat is that uh, uh, Joe Dante put him in the scene uh, where he's waiting uh, by a phone booth while Dee Wallace, uh, her, in the movie her name is Karen White, but Dee Wallace is talking on the phone, and, um, and when she leaves the phone booth, Roger Corman walks into the phone booth, closes the door, and checks to see if there's any change in the payphone. And it's an in-joke reference to the producer's legendary uh, penny pinching and just any way to, to save a buck or you know, make a penny here and there. Uh, so I thought that that was really cool. So, And due to the howling, uh, this gave Joe Dante the opportunity to work on Gremlins. And Gremlins, kind of like Poltergeist, is it oozes... Steven Spielberg, everything about Gremlins feels Steven Spielberg-y, and that's the way Poltergeist did too, but I don't believe that there was as much uh, turmoil behind the scenes on uh, Poltergeist as there was, uh, on uh, Howling as there was on Poltergeist. So, anyway, that's rabbit trailing, whatever. Uh, uh, and Briefly on the Howling sequels, I've seen them all except Howling Reborn, because the one before Howling Reborn, there was a uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5... Six, seven, I think eight, maybe. Uh, the the only one to me that uh, is truly watchable was part five, uh, and it was set in a castle, and it was kind of a whodunit type thing in the, the whole Ten Little Indians, uh, where you know they're being picked off one by one. You're not sure who it is. A little bit of a Jalo type feel going on in it, but it was it wasn't bad. Uh, but pretty much all the other ones were. They were painful to get through. Three was in set in Australia. That was sort of, kind of interesting. PG-13, though, so eh. Uh, four had a couple of great scenes, but the rest of it was just padded boringness. Uh, two had Christopher Lee, uh, which I believe he hates the movie, uh, but uh, part two was uh, bad. I watched it once on VHS. Having said that, uh, there's a good chance I'm going to rewatch that at some point. Scream Factory is releasing it on the Blu-ray, so knowing me, I'm going to give that one a rewatch. After that, uh, there was uh, Howling the Freaks, which I think kind of wasn't that good. I don't, I, I have almost no recollection of the movie, um, and and then there was. Um, uh, oh man, there was another one after that. I don't even remember what the subtitle was for, but it was it was terrible. Easily the worst, worst, worst of the Howling series, and quite possibly the worst were- werewolf movie I've ever seen, uh, short of Werewolf uh, from Mystery Science Theater. But it was terrible. And then there was a Twilight tween type direct-to-video reboot called uh, Howling Reborn, I believe, which I meh no interest. Uh, and now supposedly they're going to remake it again. But this seems to be a movie that they just can't get right. So I don't have uh, 
high hopes for uh, a remake, unless it would be an actual theatrical, like an R-rated theatrical release instead of the a cheap, a cheap Netflixy type or sci-fi original type cash in, which they just all seem to be. So. Uh, anyway, okay, that's The Howling. It is a great movie. Check it out. Uh, honestly, if you're listening to this show, you, I'm guessing you've seen The Howling and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If not, shame on you, because these are classics, classics of the genre. Um, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my, uh, my third favorite movie of all time. And I go back and forth with this movie as far as... Uh, is this my favorite horror movie of all time? Uh, because it's neck and neck with The Shining, and uh, sometimes it actually upsets me that the hi- that The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, is ever so slightly better than this. Because this is l- quite literally uh, the perfect alignment of planets to create the uh, the ultimate waking nightmare, uh, and that is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I've said it before on this show, and I'll just I'll quickly repeat it. Um, this uh, is such a visceral horror movie. Not just the fact that it, it, you know, it's about a a family of murderers that that kill people and then uh, cut them up and serve serve them as food. Now, it's not that graphic. The movie is. It sounds more graphic than it is. But what makes this movie what it is is somehow Toby Hooper made this movie feel like a waking nightmare. It truly feels like not so much that you're watching a film, but that you're watching, a, that you're living in a bad dream. You're living a bad dream for t- 82 minutes. Um, some of the scariest stuff in the movie, not some of the scary, in my opinion, the scariest stuff in the movie is set during the daytime. Um, uh, the sound effects in the movie, they're not so much a score to the movie as it just, it's just creepy sounds and noises. Um, the 16 millimeter grittiness of it is, is just disturbing. And this is, um, it's, it's the perfect horror movie. If you're looking for, uh, a movie that gets under your skin, it's timeless. It is completely timeless. Uh, to me, it seems like it ages like fine wine. It gets better as the years go by. Uh, because it's such, it's from a time so removed from today, with everything high tech and everything HD and everything, uh, everything is just clean and crisp and clear. And this is dirty and grimy and dusty and old and just sick. You just when the movie is done, every time the movie ends, I am stunned into silence with that final scene of dancing Leatherface. And if you haven't seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there is, there is so much, uh, trivia on this movie. Um, I'll get into a little bit of it. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but, um, the script was entitled Leatherface at various points before the film's release. And the title was switched to Head Cheese. And then finally the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, is that's something else is I think that that is the perfect, uh, horror movie title. Everything is there. It's from Texas, so, you know, Texas, you're already thinking dirty and, you know, dusty and uh, chainsaw massacre. And it's just, it's, I love the title. Love the title. Um, Due to the low budget, Gunnar Hansen only had one shirt to wear as Leatherface. The shirt 
had been dyed so it could not be washed. Hansen had to wear it for four straight weeks of filming in the hot and humid Texas summer. By the end of the shoot, no one wanted to stand near Hansen or sit next to him during breaks to eat lunch because his clothes smelled that bad. That is disgusting. And I've watched pretty much all there is to watch on special features and behind the scenes and documentaries and all that stuff on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So uh, I know what it was like in that house that they filmed in. Uh, the heat in that in that house uh, was staggering. Uh, the original budget for the movie was $60,000, and during the editing process, the filmmakers amassed an additional $80,000 in costs requiring that they sell off portions of their ownership in the film's royalties. Uh, but such a low-budget movie and so effective... Um, when uh, one of our uh, one of the the ladies in the movie she gets hung on a meat hook and seriously at this point if you haven't seen the movie and eh, you know what it's too bad I'm spoiling the movie girl gets hung on the meat hook and this is a daytime scene that is so disturbing um, the way they did it was ingenious and it truly looks like this girl is hung on a meat hook um, done with a harness but it's so real and the noises that she makes after she's hung were just like oh it's so disgusting uh, the company worked seven days a week 16 hours a day in the summertime in one of texas's notoriously brutal heat waves where the daytime temperature was over 100 degrees and later hovered at around 80 at night um this movie was banned uh it was censored and what's funny about it is that uh is that there's very, very, very little bloodshed in the movie. Uh, however, it's the feel of the movie. Something about the feel of it is just disgusting. And, ugh. Uh, so, movie was shot in chronological order, which, again, I think that's so... For some reason, little things like that um, is just interesting, how, how little things like that are... I wonder what it took to make that movie in chronological order. Um, oh, let's see. Some other thing. Some other notes here. Slant Magazine rated this movie number one of the top 100 greatest horror movies of all time. I can't argue with that because to me, it's uh, in my horror movie lineup. It's number two, uh, and my favorites of all time. It comes in at number three. Um, so. Um, some other notes here. The actor who played Leatherface originally turned down the role due to the sheer brutality of the plot. He was then persuaded by Marilyn Burns, who was friends with him at the time. So, there you go. Uh, Ed Gein was not a true serial killer. He only killed two women. He was, however, a ghoul. He stole body parts from a lot of different graves. And this movie is, uh, the Leatherface character is kind of, sort of, based around, um, around the story of Ed Gein. Uh, so, there's that. Uh, but anyway, I could go on and on about my love of this movie. It is so good. So, 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 so good. Um, Toby Hooper intended to make the movie uh, PG-rated by, by keeping violence moderate and language mild. But despite cutting and repeated submissions, the ratings board insisted on an R rating for the effectiveness of what is on screen and what is implied off screen. Uh, Hooper had a similar ratings problem with the sequel. And the sequel, uh, it wasn't PG that he was fighting for. It was an R rating that he was fighting for, and they refused. It was unrated. And it actually was released, Canon released the movie unrated in theaters. Um, so 
there you go. That's cool. And I'd say Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 is an excellent, excellent follow-up to the original. It's nothing like the original, but it's uh, one of my favorites. Uh, Marilyn Burns, her clothing was so drenched in fake blood that it was virtually solid by the last day's shoot. And you can really see towards the end of the movie because she is covered in blood. Um, it, it, it looks like that. Um, it looks like she's covered in blood and she and she's... She's, the shirt is just dried on. It's caked on there. Um, uh, Edwin Neal, who played the hitchhiker, said that making this film was so miserable that his service in Vietnam uh, was more miserable than his service in Vietnam and said that he might kill director Toby Hooper if he ever saw him again. <laughs> um, I wish so bad I could have been a, a, on this set. Oh, man. Um, so... Uh, another thing, and I'm not seeing this, I, I remember this from one of the many documentaries that I saw in the movie, was that uh, the chase scene in the end with Leatherface chasing Marilyn Burns through the woods, uh, he is he gets his chainsaw out and he's slashing at trees and branches and whatnot. And I recall um, that was improvised uh, because she wasn't running fast enough. And he was catching up to her, so he improvised and, and was cutting down branches. Here's my thought, though, on that, is they were using a real chainsaw, and he was actually chasing her with a real chainsaw. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was uh, crazy. Uh, so, anyway, uh, again, I could go on and on. I need to quit. I love talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's, it's so good. Um, um Oh, uh, according to John Larroquette, uh, his payment for doing the opening narration, the scrolling text, was a uh, joint. So uh, a joint is what it cost for him to do the uh, voiceover work on the beginning. So Leatherface had lines in the scripts that were gibberish with little side notes indicating what he was trying to say. Um Director Toby Hooper claims to have got the idea for the film while standing in the hardware section of a crowded store. While thinking of a way to get out through the crowd, he spotted the chainsaws. Yay! So, I gotta quit. I'm gonna keep talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then the show's gonna be over. So, watch that movie. If you haven't, shame on you. Watch it immediately. Okay, next up. Uh, I'm gonna try and get through one more. And that is Don't Go In The House. And this is from 1979, uh, directed by Joseph Ellison, a disturbed young man who was burned as a child by his sadistic mother stalks women with a flamethrower. Hey, there you go. Um, uh, So this movie is, uh, I actually imported this movie from Germany, uh, limited edition, and I've seen the movie a couple times now, once back in the VHS days, and I haven't seen it since then. Um, it um, Honestly, it has sort of a, check, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre feel to it. Um, this is uh, such a straightforward horror movie. It is, uh, it's a slasher movie, but it's, in the, it's very similar to uh, William Lustig's Maniac and... Uh, Romano Scavolini's Nightmare in that it's like one of those really dirty, yucky, grindhousey uh, slasher movies. Not so much like Friday the 13th, but just a more like, ugh, uh, this is uh, this is just an ugly movie. And, the re- and there's very few uh, victims in the movie. However, 
Um, being burned alive is one of the worst ways to go, I could imagine. And um, that's what the movie's about. Is he he kidnaps girls and puts them in this metal room that he's got in his house because uh, with his dead mother. And uh, and speaking of which, this has uh, psycho undertones as well. And strips them down, hangs them up, burns them alive. And um, it's it's hardcore. Quentin Tarantino likes it, of course. Um, and it's kind of a uh, it's it's a cult classic. It's a grindhouse movie. It's uh, it's a tough watch. I'll tell you. Um, I mean, there's something to be said about. Uh, there's something to be said about a slasher movie like Friday the 13th or whatever. Um, it's another to see a couple of the scenes that are in this movie. Uh, one in particular, to see them and it's just like, this is just, oh, like it, this is way before Saw and Hostel and when that when that whole subgenre came to be, uh, this is sim- very, very, very similar to that. And it's rough, especially with the old film stock and the it just feels like something that you would have seen uh at a, a porn theater back uh, back in the early 80s I, I, oh it's just ugh. so anyway um don't go in the house it's it's it is what it is it's by no means is it a texas chainsaw massacre quality or anything like that but um for grindhouse fans it's certainly um it's certainly something that you won't forget. So, anyway, okay. Well, that's going to do it. Uh, look at this. I, I was going to talk about a bunch of other movies. Uh, I went to hit on Joyride Part Three uh, that I watched, and a movie called Scenic Route. Um, I went to talk about those, and all of a sudden, it's uh, time to wrap up because I spent too much time on awesome movies instead of mediocre movies. <laughs> uh, but Howling is great. That gets, I think, usually from me, uh, my usual view, my usual review on Howling is four to four and a half stars, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a solid, solid, easy five star movie. There is not one single thing I would change in the movie. There's not one thing, single thing I would add. I don't think it needs more violence. I don't think it needs less. I think it's the perfect. Um, it's just the perfect accumulation of film to make the ultimate horror movie. And that's what it is. The ultimate horror movie to me. So, uh, great stuff, man. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, I know I didn't spend as much time on that. Don't go in the house movie, but, um, seriously, it makes me just not feel comfortable. Um, talking that it was just a sick movie, sick, uh, and not in a good way. Uh, it, Ugh, something about uh, the burning people alive. Uh, it was harsh, harsh, harsh movie. Even though there's not much, many scenes in the movie like that, it's still ouch. So, but very grindhousey and very much a soft underbelly movie. So, you can get a hold of me at eugene weaver at hotmail.com for any questions or movies you think I should see or movies I should stay away from. I'm continually trying to find uh, other movies like from this time you know from back in the late 70s early 80s that i can watch and um find those little gems i there's a couple that i'm hoping to watch here soon uh one of them is called shocking dark it's an alien knockoff from italy 
And there's Parasite from 1982, Eyes of Fire from 1983, um, one called, a movie called Twisted Nightmare. So I've got a bunch of underbelly-type movies that I've been wanting to watch. It's just there's so little time to watch all the movies that you want to watch. And so I just have to get them in here and there while still watching movies that are tried and true like Chainsaw Massacre, Howling, stuff like that. I still have to rewatch those from time to time. So uh, anyway, make sure that uh, tune in to our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks for the latest and greatest on new release stuff. And of course, my uh, other show that I co-host with Eric Marner, that would be Movie Freaks. Both can be found on iTunes. And stay tuned soon on Movie Freaks and Cinema Sidekicks. We're going to be doing a Megapod show this coming Friday, and that's going to be really fun. We've got a bunch of great stuff in store, so uh, stay tuned for that. So anyway, thanks for listening, and until next time. (laughs) 